Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter, all of you. We are so glad to have all of you join us today, whether you're online or at one of our churches. Now, here's what I know. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and we had a chance to sit down for coffee, and you explained to me why you don't follow Jesus, I'm betting you'd have a very good reason, and I'd get it. Like when you told me of your experience that you had with Christians or the doubts that you wrestle with or the time when you asked a Christian a fact-based question and only got a faith-based answer in response, the you just have to believe or you need more faith kind of answer, I would get where you're coming from. But here's the thing. If you then said, I want to hear from you, so I'm inviting you to make a case for why you follow Jesus... The thing is, I wouldn't try to explain all of your experiences away or all of your questions away. I wouldn't even try to defend church history because some Christians have behaved in indefensible ways throughout the centuries. I wouldn't try to defend how specific Christians treated you in particular situations because, again, that would probably be indefensible. And I wouldn't start by trying to defend everything in the Bible and convince you that, hey, creation, it happened exactly like Moses wrote in Genesis or that Jonas was, Jonah was swallowed by a big fish as he claimed. Here's where we would start. I would start with this event that we as Christ followers celebrate every Easter that is simply known as the resurrection. And I'd make the case that Easter is a historical event. Because, see, Christ followers don't just believe in the resurrection based on faith. We believe it based on facts as well. We believe that there is historical evidence, that there is historical proof that the resurrection really happened. See, we believe it happened partly because of how Jesus' first followers responded. When it happened, they went on the first century version of social media and the news just went viral. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead because of the historical account written by a man by the name of Matthew. This guy was one of Jesus' disciples who hit the unfollow button at Jesus' arrest. He abandoned Jesus. He ran in fear that he'd be a crucified, crucified alongside Jesus. But then after Jesus' resurrection, Matthew's demonstrating an entirely different kind of behavior and faith. He's courageous. He's declaring that he's seen and he's talked with Jesus personally. See, we believe Jesus rose from the dead because a man by the name of Mark, who was a friend of Peter's, the same Peter who, after Jesus was arrested, denied that he knew Jesus three different times. But after the resurrection, Peter had the boldness to declare to the same people who arranged for Jesus' execution that Jesus is now alive. The same Peter who endured torture because he would not recant. And he shared his eyewitness account to Mark to record, and Mark wrote about it. See, we believe Jesus rose from the dead because a physician by the name of Luke. Luke wrote about it, and he took a very scientific approach to verify the events of the resurrection. He, he didn't just take somebody's word for it. Luke launched this full-scale investigation to research for himself what really happened. And then he wrote an account of what he discovered. And at the beginning of his account, he tells us why he wrote it. In fact... Notice what he says. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, 
since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. See, we believe in the resurrection because a guy like Luke, with his education as an intelligence, he was that detailed and he was very careful in his approach of separating the facts from the fiction. We believe in the resurrection because another man by the name of John, he wrote about it. And what makes John unique is more than the fact that he was just one of Jesus' closest disciples. What makes John unique is that he was one of the first ones to show up on that Sunday morning and see the empty tomb for himself. And he was one of the first ones to see Jesus alive again. And here's the thing. We could talk about people like James, the half-brother of Jesus, who did not become a follower of Jesus till after the resurrection. We could talk about people like the Apostle Paul and others who claimed they saw Jesus alive too. But what makes all these people unique is that they were all persecuted and they were all tortured, not for defending the belief system of Jesus. They were tortured and most of them were killed because they would not deny what they had seen and experienced with their own eyes. That Jesus, he was crucified and then he was buried and then he came back to life. Now, there, there's another reason why we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And it's a man by the name of Nero. And, and most of us, we only know a couple things about him, but most all of us have heard about him. But we know that Nero burned the city of Rome, and we know who he blamed. He blamed the Christians. Now, here's the interesting thing about Nero. Nero became the emperor of Rome at the age of 16, so literally he got his driver's license and the empire on the same day. And then in A.D. 64, he decided to burn down Rome. And think about this. There are enough people in Rome who follow Jesus and who believe in the resurrection, that Nero can blame them for what he did. Now, here's why this is so significant. This is only 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. Now, here's why that matters. Sociologists say it takes a legend that would be of this magnitude to develop and to be accepted by this many people about 60 to 80 years. They even say that the bare minimum of a legend of this magnitude would be somewhere around 40 years. That's because everyone who witnessed the event and could refute, refute the legend, they would have to die before the legend could grow. But think about this. 30 years after Jesus' resurrection, there are already thousands of people who believe, including in the heart of the Roman Empire. So we don't believe in the resurrection just because the Bible says so. It's way better than that. We believe because history tells us so. Eyewitness verify it was so, and logic leads us to believe it was so. Now, there's another eyewitness account that is so compelling as well. It's the account of the women who first discovered the empty tomb and first saw Jesus alive. And here's why this matters. Women and children in that culture had zero credibility. 
Now, no one should ever be treated like that, but that's how things were in the first century. So if you were making up a legend to get people to believe you, you would not include the women that you, in, when you wrote about it in your account. And you definitely would not make them central to the story. But here's the thing. When Matthew and when Mark and when Luke and when John, they all wrote about their account, they all claimed the women not only saw the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus, but they were the first ones to discover and to see, and they were the ones who were first to tell the disciples that Jesus was alive. See, there's no explanation for why they say the first eyewitnesses were women unless that's exactly how it happened. So here are some of the names of some of the women. You have Mary Magdalene or Mary from the town of Magla. Now, there was another Mary. She was Mary, the mother of James the Younger. James the Younger was the disciple of Jesus, but they called him this to distinguish him from the other disciple named James. Now, Salome, she was the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. And John is the same John who wrote what we call the Gospel of John, and we're going to read his account in just a moment. So all of these women, they were all at Jesus' crucifixion, even though most of his disciples ran. And then they watched as Jesus was quickly buried before the Sabbath began, and there was a stone rolled across the entrance to the tomb. And then three days passed, and then the women, they show back up early on Sunday morning because as soon as the Sabbath is over, they are anxious to go and properly anoint Jesus' body with burial kind of spices. But the problem is they know that there's this boulder covering the entrance. Who's going to move it and who's going to let them in? Now, they're probably thinking that maybe the Roman guard stationed by Pilate to guard this tomb, maybe they would do it or maybe they could get the gardener to help. So it surprises them when they get near the tomb to see from a distance the stone is already rolled away. And as you're about to see, they do not jump to the conclusion that Jesus is alive. In fact, they assume that Jesus' body has either been moved or it's been stolen. And Mary Magdalene, she doesn't hesitate before she even just makes it to the tomb. In fact, here, here's what John says that she does. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, or the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, John here is referring to himself, and he said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, th this is not a woman who saw a stone rolled away and assumed, oh, wow, the angel moved the stone and Jesus is alive. It's all happening just like we thought. No, no. She assumed what any of us would have assumed. She assumed that somebody had decided to move his body. She never assumed he was alive. And so now she is so upset, she's so confused, and now John and Peter, they are confused. So Peter and John, they run to the tomb as fast as they can, and they peek inside to see, and they see these strips of linen that Jesus' body had been wrapped in, lying there where his body used to be. And then guess what John says he and Peter do? Look at verse 9. 
They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And who can blame them? Because who expects a man, a dead man, to come back to life? Meanwhile, Peter and John, they leave and Mary stays around and she's trying to make sense of all this. And here's what happens next. Notice, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she'd been over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Now, if you've ever wondered if angels are men or women, this kind of answers a question. Only a man would be clueless enough to ask a woman why she's crying after her friend died. So she starts explaining to them. Last part of verse 13. They have already taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. Again, no one thought that he was alive. And then something happens that I think for the rest of her life, every time Mary thought about this or told this story, she kind of chuckled or kind of laughed. It's just kind of one of those funny but also kind of embarrassing moments that makes for a great story when you're kind of like at a dinner party. Here's what happens to Mary next in verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, now, maybe it was just too dark to see well, or maybe he was standing far away. Maybe he's behind her, and she's crying so much. So she notices somebody's there, but she doesn't pay attention to really who it is. But she doesn't recognize Jesus. And that's a little embarrassing. And I think Jesus probably chuckled as he said this next statement to her. He said, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have come to carry him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Now, how funny is that? I mean, can, can you imagine years later when she tells this story, and she says, Oh, and Jesus showed up that morning, and I thought he was the gardener, and he talked to me, and I, I thought he was just there maybe to, to weed the flower beds or to clean out the tomb, but who can blame her? Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected a resurrection. So Jesus does to her what he does to all of us when we're lost, when we're confused, when we're not paying attention. Notice what he says to her in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And the moment she hears his voice, she knows. The moment she hears her name, she has hope again. Life is new again. Everything has changed. In fact, it says, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Notice what she does. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord and she told them that he had said these things to her. See, one of the reasons we believe the resurrection happened is because women who had no credibility in first century 
are included in the first century eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection. Why, why would anybody say they were the first ones to find the empty tomb and see Jesus alive unless that's what happened? But that's not the only reason to believe. But if you're skeptical, you have to explain that. Now, that being said, there, there's a bigger picture to this story that we don't want you to miss. Because, see, for Mary Magdalene and Salome and Matthew and Peter and John and James and the other men and the other women, the moment that Jesus rose, everything changed for them personally. See, the moment they saw him alive, they realized this is a new day. This is a new start. This is a new life for them. Because you got to understand. They never expected a resurrection. So his resurrection brought hope that there was more to this life than just living and dying. His resurrection meant that in spite of the fact that so many of them had abandoned him, they could have a second chance. They could be forgiven. They could follow again. And don't miss this. The resurrection, it changes everything for us too. See, the resurrection is more than a logical or some kind of scientific debate. It is personal. See, the resurrection, what it means for you and I, it means we can trust Jesus to give us answers to questions that nobody else has answers to. Because if a man can predict his death and resurrection, he has instant credibility. And here's what this means to us. Because of the resurrection... You can pray knowing God hears your prayers. Because before then, you hoped God heard your prayers and, and you weren't sure. And then Jesus comes along and God hears every prayer you pray, he says. He says, God knows everything that is happening in your life. God sees and God cares. But that's not all. Because of the resurrection, you can live knowing there is life beyond this life. See, the only way to know with certainty that there is life beyond this earth is if somebody dies and comes back to tell us. And Jesus did. This life isn't all that there is. In fact, there's a greater purpose and meaning to your days on earth because Jesus said they impact eternity. And Jesus said you were made to live forever and you can live with forever with your God who loves you. But also, because of the resurrection, you can sacrifice knowing your faithfulness matters. See, what you do here, it has an impact in eternity. See, Jesus taught that in eternity, God rewards those who follow him and fulfill his purpose for their lives. Every action here has an impact there. See, God sees, God knows, God cares. And God will reward. But here is the best news. Because of the resurrection, you can be certain that God is for you. You can be certain that God is not out to punish you for what you've done. God is not disappointed in you. God is not angry at you. God hasn't come to condemn you. He's trying to win you back, not pay you back. See, the resurrection reminds us that God wants a relationship with us regardless of who you are or what you've done. That's at the very heart of the resurrection message. Listen, for the disciples, for the women, for all of us, the central message of the resurrection is this. 
Jesus rose again so you can begin again. Today, you can begin again in your relationship with God. You can find a fresh start in your life. You can have a brand new life. And his death and his resurrection, it provides forgiveness for our sin and the bridge to have a relationship with the God who invites all of us to call him Heavenly Father. See, for the disciples who abandoned him, the resurrection meant forgiveness was available. For the people who mocked him, the resurrection meant forgiveness was possible. And for all of us who can't live up to our own standards, much less God's standards, forgiveness is possible and change is possible. A fresh start, a brand new life is available because of the resurrection. Don't miss this. Jesus rose again so you can begin again. And it proves we are still invited by our Heavenly Father to be part of his family. So if you invited me to make a case for why I believe, this is where I'd start. And then I would leave you with this one simple question. And so one of the most important questions that you'll ever consider and process, and that is this, who is Jesus? See, th this is what matters the most. Who is Jesus? And the resurrection, what it does is it proves that he is exactly who he claimed to be. And what you have to do is you have to decide, is he truly the son of God? Is he the Messiah of the world? And, and what are you going to do with him? Will you choose to follow the one who died and rose again to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could begin again? Will you do that today? See, there's this song that we sing from time to time because it reminds us of the hope that Jesus provides to begin again. The lyrics, they start this way. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, with no place to begin. Like, like what do you do without Jesus? Where do you turn without the hope that Jesus provides? You, you have no hope. I have no hope without Jesus. But then the song goes on. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Your life, my life, it can begin again because of Jesus' love, because of his death and his resurrection. So we're going to end today by celebrating this truth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that you can begin again by taking communion. But before we do that, I... I want to give you an opportunity to have a fresh start and a new beginning with God if you've never had that. So if you're watching online or you're one of our churches today, I'm going to ask all of you at all of our churches, if you will, bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to pray a prayer. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior and your sin forgiver, will you just pray this prayer in your heart as I pray it out loud? Say, Jesus, today... I need a fresh start. And today I understand that you came to this earth, you lived and you died and you rose again so I can begin again. And today I'm asking you for that new beginning. I'm asking you to forgive me of all of my sin, come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior and my life leader from this day forward. Thank you that I can begin again. And I thank you that as I walk with you and I follow you, I'm going to understand 
how to experience life to the fullness that you can only give. Thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you're at one of our churches, what I would invite you to do is take out that Connect card that was in the worship guide when you came in. Let us know that you did. You can leave that laying face down on the seat as you leave, or you can put it in the giving boxes just um, as you're leaving the auditorium today, or you can stop by the gallery and give it to one of our team and just tell them, and they would love to help you take some next steps in really understanding what it means to have this new life in Christ. But for all of us today, and if you're online, let me even say this, go to our RCC app, and, and you can let us know on the Connect card there as well, and we'll give you some next steps as well to begin this whole new life with Jesus. But for all of us, as an act of celebrating the fact that Jesus rose again so that we could begin again, as I said, I want to invite you um, to join us as we close out our time today by taking communion. And communion, what it really is, is the celebration of this fact that Jesus' death and resurrection, it provides forgiveness for our sin and the bridge to have a relationship with the God who invites us to call him Heavenly Father. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us, and then you will eat the bread and you will drink the juice. You'll eat the bread as a reminder of God's body that has been broken for us, and then you'll drink the juice as a reminder of his blood that washes away all of our sins. And it's gonna remind us of how much Jesus was willing to go through to show you and to show me that he loves us. And let me just say, if you just prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, make this the first act of thanking God for his amazing love and his gift of forgiveness and welcome you into his family. So what's going to happen is, after I pray, the band's going to come out of all of our churches, and they're going to lead us in this song. And during the song, when you're ready, you eat the bread, which once again represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us on the cross, and you drink the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus that washed away and cleansed us from all our sin. Then you eat and you drink of that when you're ready. And then if you feel like joining in the song, do that as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible moment when we all get to pause. Remember what you did for us and be reminded that Jesus lived died, rose again, so we all could begin again. God, there are many of us today who are beginning again. Some of us who for the very first time we've received you as our Lord and Savior. We're beginning a brand new life with you. God, there are Christ followers today who are saying, Jesus, thank you for the reminder. And, and I'm asking for a fresh start in my life today as I refocus on you and reset my heart and my mind toward you. God, as we take communion together, remind us of how much you love us, and then may that love flow from us to those that are around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.